Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are hosts Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi, and every week we talk about trending topics in the wine world. You can follow us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello and welcome to this week's installment of The Wonderful World of Wine. We are Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone. I, of course, am Kim. And how are you this week, Mark? Everything's good, Kim. Good to talk wine with you and our listeners again today. Absolutely. My favorite topic. That's it. <laughs> Love to talk with you about wine. That's why we're here. That's right. This week, we have our first topic is topping, talking about something that really is trending in the world of not just wine, but also sort of beverage in general, uh, specifically alcoholic drinks. And we have definitely been noticing an uptick lately in the desire for beverages that are either lower in alcohol or have no alcohol at all. And since we are a wine show, you know, we would prefer if people have something that is wine-based. But there was a very interesting article in, let's see if I can find it, in Food and Wine Aesthetics about instead of sort of following this trend of drinking more but lower alcohol, drinking less but making it better. So what do you think about this approach, Mark? I know that you do sell a lot of a variety of beverages in your store, and I can assume that some of them are probably related to this lower alcohol trend. Can you speak to that a little bit? There has been a little movement of more healthy, lower alcohol wines, and I'm assuming people want the lower alcohol for calories, Kim. Is that kind of your take on why they're seeking? I know no alcohol is obvious, but lower alcohol, do you think it's more to lower the content of the alcohol or is it overall impression of lower alcohol better for you, lower calories? Because I don't necessarily know that it is completely tied to calorie counts. I think that that is part of it, but I think part of it also is that people want to be consuming less alcohol. So I think that they can kind of go hand in hand, but I don't think that it's necessarily the same thing as, you know, when we saw 20, 25 years ago, the lower alcohol, fewer carbs, fewer calories kind of beer push from a lot of beer companies. I think this is more related to consumers feeling like drinking too much alcohol, especially as we're coming out of a pandemic where maybe we were indulging a little bit more than we usually would, that lower alcohol is or less alcohol is better for you. So therefore, some of these things that have come out that are like, you know, 2%, 3%, way lower than a glass of wine are appealing to people for that, not so much the calorie content, but that they, you know, there's less alcohol there for their, uh, their system to process. It seems like with the warmer weather, people are going towards seltzers and instead of heavy IPA beers. But we're talking about wine, I, I think my observations as a retailer mm -hmm. are people are looking for low alcohol related to the calories. Okay. And there was a huge marketing the past few years about you've seen these new things like light wines and lower calories. I know I, I have one brand that's a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc that right on the label, it says 20% lighter. It doesn't right. say lighter alcohol. 
it just says lighter, but the alcohol level is 9%. So right, which is lighter in alcohol, right? Yeah, that's like right. a good, you know, 25% lighter or a 25% fewer percentage alcohol points than you would find in your ordinary New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc bottle. Thought we would discuss that first about calories. So mm-hmm. a normal glass of wine, and that's where this, I think where my take on this article was it says instead of the lower alcohol, just drink something better because the average five ounce glass of wine at the like the 13% alcohol level is roughly 120, 130 calories. For yeah, a dry I was gonna say 120 red. is, you know, kind of what we always assume for a dry white wine, right? Yeah, um, or, or, you know, between 105 and 120 calories per glass. So the five ounce serving of this 9% wine is 90 calories. So you're talking what 30 calories, right? I mean, it's not very much of a difference, I think. Mm-hmm. So for me, with this article, it's like instead of getting that low, just get your normal 13%. Maybe instead of a five ounce pour, do a three ounce pour and you're at the same calorie level. Mm-hmm. So you're cutting back. You're, technically, you're cutting back on the alcohol because your your percentage, the ounces is less, correct? Right. So I love where they went with this. It doesn't, you know, the whole, it's another marketing thing to me where they're trying to trick people that you're going to drink this, it's healthier, it's lighter in alcohol, so it's better for you. But they have to do things to that, which brought up a few things in the article. Number one, the grapes they're using to make the wine obviously will have less sugar to produce less alcohol. So I was thinking, well, that's kind of strange and that's not really maybe a good thing quality-wise. But then I was thinking, what about all the cool climate countries Mm -hmm. that are making wines already at 12% at full ripeness for their grapes? So someplace like Austria, someplace like, you know, a dry wine in Germany. Yeah, the mountains of Italy. Sure, there's so many places that are that cooler climate better quality, like the normal production wines in that 12% that will be less alcohol, will be less calories. And it, to me, it is better quality. And I had a hard time when I was trying to find something to put on the shelf for this low alcohol wines that, that actually had a good flavor to them. And it tends to me to be the New Zealand, like Sauvignon Blancs and mostly whites that tastes pretty good at that low alcohol mm-hmm. level. So that was kind of my take on as far as the alcohol. Yeah. Have you had any experience with the low alcohol wines? I have, and I can't really say that they taste great. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah. You're and, right. You though. know, a lot of them I feel like taste watered down and manipulated. And I think that there's really this disconnect for people who are looking to have a healthier lifestyle, but still want to incorporate wine into that. And I think what is difficult is that their consumers are bombarded with all of this sort of marketing lingo. And my issue with the lower alcohol wines or these things that are being touted as light wines, healthier wines is along a similar line as what you mentioned just a minute ago is that they are more manipulated in order to get them that way. So if people are trying to live a truly healthier lifestyle, I think a lot of people who are buying local and trying to buy organic vegetables and maybe eat less meat or less fat or however you are structuring your diet in order to lead what to you is a healthier lifestyle. I would also think that that would incorporate 
wines that would have less manipulation. So maybe you're looking for organic wines or biodynamic wines or, you know, just less played around with wines. And these wines do not fit that bill. These are the complete opposite. So yes, they might be lower in calorie by 20, 25 calories per serving, but they are so much more manipulated in the <laughs> in a laboratory or in the winery. And I don't think that consumers understand that, that just because the labeling on there is tell is trying to get you to think that they're healthier doesn't necessarily mean that they align with your idea of what is a healthier food product. Like this is absolutely a processed food product. And if you're you know trying to stay away from that kind of stuff, these types of wines are really not the way to go, I feel. And the author of this article mentioned that alcohol is essential in wine to the right. aroma, the flavor, the texture. You, you agree with that? Yes. And because, you know, when you if you taste a non-alcoholic wine, that started its life as real wine, real, you know, normal alcohol which, percentage. Which are more wine. manipulated wine. Right. Too. And then and then has to have the alcohol stripped out of it. Right. And not only do you lose the alcohol, but you lose so much of the complexity and the personality and the flavors and the aromas and the textures that are tied to the alcohol. So we're not telling people to go out there and, you know, drink until you can't see. But as fine wine people, we recognize that the alcohol in your wine is an important component to all of those flavor and aroma parts that make it what it is and that make it this pleasurable beverage. So you would you were talking earlier about marketing. And I'm in total, I think, total agreement with you that this, I believe, is just another marketing trick on the label you have to watch out for. And you, you also mentioned healthy wines versus low-cal wines. So I group low-calorie wines in the same area of like organic, uh, other you things do. that are considered healthier wines because the low alcohol to me is a category people want healthier options, low alcohol. Okay. So you're saying options. from a, like a consumer standpoint, like there's this umbrella right. of quote unquote healthy wines and you have these categories that you put under. I put, put that in the same area as like the the lower. There's some that are marketed as healthier and there's some that are marked as, marketed as low alcohol. And I put those kind of all in the same group. But I think the lower alcohol ones are more genuinely marketed than the ones that just saying they're healthier for you. And those I believe are more manipulated because they're they're saying they have no sugar and this and that, which we talked but about. But even many those, times. even those wines that are manipulated to get the alcohol out of them, I don't think they manipulate as much because I think they're just not using grapes that are giving them the as much alcohol on the on the outside. So you think it's a side. natural fermentation that is only leading to nine and a half percent? I for think that New part Zealand is natural. Level. I think they might not be naturally picking the grapes when they should be. They, but then they why are not. they not like super sour? It's a good, a good, yeah, that's a good Yeah, point. I don't, I... They're still fermented, but they, like you said, they don't taste a lot the same. But I, it, I feel so, like if you were to have a Sauvignon Blanc, regardless of where it's grown, that naturally only gets to nine and a half percent, those grapes are not going to taste great. Like so, whether... So it's, in the winemaking process, yeah. you think they're adding what to give it more flavor. I think they're, I don't know. I don't know if they, they don't have to tell us really so. picking really unripe and then adding something at the end to make, to balance out 
that sourness yeah. because if you aren't picking fully ripened fruit, you're not getting the grapefruit. You're not getting the pineapple. Right. You're not getting that tropical fruit, orange peel, all those peach, all those wonderful things that we associate with Sauvignon Blanc. Like I just, That's I don't know. It, ma- it makes yeah. me feel like something, there's something else going on there. It does that, make sense, but they don't have to tell us really no, they don't. what they're doing. Maybe and, they that's the problem. and that's why I feel like it's all, this is all just marketing, right. you know, because they're trying to get their hands on those consumers who maybe can be convinced that this is a healthier product without digging very deep because they see on the on the label that it's no sugar or lower alcohol and they're like oh this must be better for me without thinking because of course you know most people don't know the ins and outs of winemaking like we do that something else has to happen in order for that wine to be the style that it is as opposed to naturally getting up to its 12% alcohol so like what is going on in between and there's a lot of blending done with the wine. So maybe they make two batches and they just blend and then it just brings the alcohol down. Mm, and that could bring the too. fruitiness up too. That, that's right. a point. That's a good point. Well, let's talk briefly. Can they mention the article? I know you love talking about sparkling wine, but sparkling wine many of the times is lower in alcohol and can be a good alternative for a low alcohol mm-hmm. wine. Do, do you agree with that point as I mean, far as sparkling? I don't know about low, but lower. But lower. I mean, for right. our listeners who don't necessarily know what a low alcohol versus a lower alcohol, when yeah, we talk what's about- What's your definition of lower? So Below 13? Lower or? is like ah, 11%, yes. 10%. And naturally, when you see those bottles on the shelf, if we're not talking about one of these sort of more manipulated types of products, if you see 9, 10, 11% alcohol on a bottle of white wine, you generally are going to be getting something that has some sugar left in it. Because when you ripen grapes to their full, what we call physiological ripeness, meaning that the seeds are ripe and the skins are ripe and the juice on the inside, it's like it's at the perfect point to be picking it because everything in that fruit is balanced. You are naturally going to have right around for white wines, 12% alcohol. If you're fermenting that to dryness, meaning that there isn't any sugar left in that wine after you finish making it. But some wines you might see have 9%, 10% on the label tend to be a little bit sweeter. And those tend to be more those wines from Germany. Sometimes we'll see them from other areas. Occasionally you'll see an off dry Riesling from the United States or from another country that has that similar alcohol level, but usually lower alcohol translates into more sugar because it's what's left over in there and the yeast isn't going to eat any more sugar and turn it into alcohol. So when I think of a fully dry lower alcohol wine, I'm thinking like 11% is the lowest that you're going to get. Because if you have a 10% natural alcohol white wine, it's going to be really tart. And those grapes really won't have gotten to full ripeness before they've been picked and turned, turned into, turned into wine. So like, I think like 11, 12 is really the the minimum that I would want to pick up a bottle of something on the dry side, but lower alcohol. And again, like you said, a few minutes ago, those tend to be from those cooler climates. So either wines at elevation or we're talking about, you know, Austria, Switzerland, dry wines from Germany, those cooler places. So you wouldn't recommend anything sparkling 
if oh no no I lower, would I would okay. recommend sparkling but I think that there are other things out there besides just sparkling wine but yeah you know 11% or a 12% but I think it gets a little tricky because if you get into say an 11% prosecco there could be some sweetness there could literally be some sugar left in there and if what people are trying to do is get a lower alcohol wine because they're trying to avoid sugar then that defeats the purpose for that consumer So that's where I'm a little wary of saying, oh, yeah, go out and get a Prosecco that's 11 percent, because I don't know, giving that recommendation, if that's a wine that still has sugar left in it. Right. And a lot of sparkling, they do add levels of sweetness to to bring up the the sugar and the sweetness. And again, that's not something that they will necessarily tell you on the label. So it is hard for the consumer to kind of, you know, look at a wine label and look at a bottle and say, oh, this is something that can fit into my healthier lifestyle. So then I think that circles back to the whole point of this article, which is don't try to figure out what is out there that's a, you know, kind of quote unquote diet wine. Drink better and just drink less of it. So then you're getting fewer calories. You have less alcohol in your system for your body to process, and you're having a more enjoyable experience because you are consuming something that is of better quality. Yeah. They also mentioned not only drink better wine, drink it slower Mm -hmm. and pay more attention to what you're drinking. And drink less of it. I mean, they came right right out and said, instead of having three glasses of like two buck chuck, (laughs) have one glass of something that's a lot better. Right. Take the time to learn what it is you're putting in your mouth and yeah. that you're drinking. So and we appreciate talk about that the all flavors the time. and see how they go with the food and enjoy the company that you're with. And that was another point that was brought up as well. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. If you'd like more information about Kim, please go to her website at vinitaswineworks.com. If you'd like more information about myself, please go to franklinliquors.com. You can hear us every week right here on Franklin Radio, WFPR 102.9 FM. And for past episodes, you can find us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Next, we have a geeky kind of article, Kim, that was in uh, Science and Wine about do we really understand what experts are telling us about wine? And it was a very detailed article, almost a scientific study, to find out if when we read a guide or a review about a wine, do we really understand what they're saying in these articles? And what did you think about how this study was done, Kim? I thought it was interesting. I thought it was a little confusing because it was a study that was done in Italy, but the publication is Portuguese. So... (laughs) That's confusing. A lot (laughs) lost in translation. But I think that the idea behind the research and behind the article is really, really interesting. And it's something that we tend to talk about a lot in wine education circles. Like, is the way that we talk about wine useful for consumers? And there's always this sort of fuzzy area of, well, we don't want to talk down about what we're talking about. We don't want to dumb it down. We want to make it understandable. But on the other hand, it's like, well, we still need to use the specialized language that has been created around wine so that we can have those more in-depth and those more sort of academic conversations with our peers within the industry. So what was interesting here was that they did a couple of studies. And what was different about this was because was that they had 
regular consumers, like not wine educated folks, try to give what they thought the opposite of a particular wine term was. And then they had wine professionals sort of try to translate that like, okay, so this is what everyday wine drinkers are thinking. How do we interpret this? So there were many different steps in this study, but I thought it really came out with some very interesting results. Yeah, I think anytime there's a study to tell us what people are perceiving in the wine world, I think it's good. And it's very rare to see stuff like this. Mm -hmm. So they looked at like 12 guidebooks and they broke it down to most of the time, 40% of what is being talked about is about smell. 40% was taste. 16% was visual. And 4% was just general information. And then they said, like you said, tell us, if you understand it, tell us the opposite of what you read. So, which is a good take, I thought. Mm -hmm. and, and different. Yeah. And a, a different way of approaching it. And they found out 85% of not only consumers in, in Psalms that were mixed in could say the opposite. So they felt they were understanding. But like you said, what was confusing to me in this was the outcome after all that. They still said that overall, the producers and winemakers still need to be, what's the word I'm looking for? They still need to understand people are having a hard time, which I didn't feel from the study, it sounded like they were having a hard time. But yeah, yeah it, it did really seem like focus it was on. kind of frustrating for the people who are running the study to sort of suss out what is the meaning, you know, of these results. Like, what is this actually telling us? And they did have Psalms mixed in with the consumers, right? I believe so. On, yeah. On, so on it was like the second study. Yeah. So it was kind of regular people and then other people who were part of the wine business. It was like 64 general descriptions were given and tell us the opposite. So what would you think would be an example of something you read in a review and that you could give an opposite? So our listeners can kind of relate to it. So a lot of the things that they were talking about were like, like if it's old versus young, right? Aromas. So like, hmm? how, how would they describe that as an aroma? Because if I, if I was reading an article and said cherry, what would you say opposite? Apple? I mean, how would you do an opposite of that? But the, they weren't really talking about those sorts of aromas. So they didn't really talk about fruit or spice or those kind of things. It was more like young versus old or flabby versus, so that's you know, more, you lean think that's or something. More the general percentage so it's not the general, but also more of what I like to describe as the textures but also the the general descriptive terms. So like if you're talking about a finish, is it a short finish versus a long finish? So like those kind of descriptive terms, talking about the color of a wine, because I think that that is something that people have a little bit of an easier time finding common ground. Is this a clear, bright wine versus is this sort of a hazy, not so clear wine? Like those things I think are easier for non-professionals to be able to put their finger on than more of those. Is this raspberry? Is this blackberry kind of interpretations of what you're smelling? Yeah, um, but a lot of these descriptions were more like they weren't necessarily a description that you would find on a wine but more something that in the overall concept of talking about wine. So like a rare wine versus a common wine or talking about tannins, you know, velvety tannins versus rough tannins. So more of those 
I think, general descriptive terms. But not that, like, you know, apple is the opposite of cherry, because right. what is the opposite because of cherry? There's no opposite of cherry. In the beginning, it was saying the overall sensory properties or of a wine or something. And then the article, I, I thought it started out like, oh, this is going to be really interesting. But then it got so scientific and it didn't really break down. Like it set up all these things about the guidebook. So I was I was mm -hmm. assuming they had some sort of wine review books, but they didn't really give one real detailed example of what people read and then how they interpreted it, which I yeah. wish that's what they did. Instead, it just got really scientific with numbers. I would would have loved to really seen what yeah, they I think read. they were talking more about like a light wine versus a heavy wine or like I but said before, like a, a short that's simple, finished, long finish. How would how would you know they well, were it's simple wine? To, because it's simple it's to opposites. you. You know, it's simple to us because we live this lingo. But if you don't know anything about wine, how would you know but to describe? It's almost simple opposites, though. That's why I'm kind of confused on. You know what I mean? It's almost like right, but I think that a lot, and, exams, and I think yeah. that was one of the things that surprised people who were interpreting these results is that what we would expect to get the opposite of in wine lingo, they didn't really get. Like it was only the experts that ended up kind of making the correct opposite. That not correct, but the people were expecting was, to get from a yeah. wine perspective. So, like one of them said that the opposite of sweet was astringent. And we know that that's not the case when you're talking about wine because astringency tends to be associated with tannins, tend to be associated with bitterness, which is not the opposite of sweet. Like the opposite of sweet when you're talking about wine is either dry or it's sour because sugar and acid sort of balance each other out. So I think it there is value to knowing how the imagination of someone tasting wine or thinking about wine, but is not versed in the language that wine folks use to sort of get an, a little bit of a glimpse into how they view these terms that we just throw around all the time because it's our normal lingo for talking about the things that we talk about professionally. So I think that this is good for those of us on this side of it to think about, oh, this is how a common person who doesn't really think about wine all the time might view these terms and might view the opposites of these terms. Do you think this is something in future educational tasting events you think is worth working into a tasting to get a point of view as you're doing an event? Or, I think it could tasting? be fun, honestly, like give a bunch of words that we normally have associated with wine, but maybe in regular spoken English have a slightly different connotation than how we use them as wine words. Yeah, I think that would be really fun. It's almost like it would be good to throw it out to see if what level you're at when you're doing the class. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? When, you, when you're teaching it, if you find out they're way off by not understanding what you're saying, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of a good, I think it was a good tool to kind of work in somehow. Thank you for joining us today on The Wonderful World of Wine, and we've been your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. We welcome your questions and comments. Leave us a question on there. We may answer it on the air for you and mention your name. And you can find past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes.